Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to the Dion Gordon Podcast. I am your host, the connoisseur of common sense, the purveyor of authenticity, and a man who calls it right down the middle. Dion Tyree Gordon, enough of the bullshit. Let's get to work. War Dell Stephen Curry is the baddest man on the planet. War Dell Stephen Curry. Curry is box office. Wardell Stephen Curry is hands down, unequivocally, without question, beyond a shadow of a doubt, the most must-see athlete in all of sports. To me, a great athlete is defined by what they do in certain situations, in critical moments. Game seven, on the road, Hostile environment, back against the wall. You lost game six at home. Obviously, it's a must-win game. Win or go home. Game seven, the two, the two best words in all of sports. I measure athletes by what they do in big moments like that. And Steph Curry delivered in game seven. 50 points the first time ever. In NBA history, that anyone ever scored 50 points in a game seven? What? Are you serious? Michael Jordan never scored 50 in a game seven. Kobe Bean Bryant, the late great Kobe Bean Bryant, never scored 50 in a game seven. LeBron James never put up 50 points in a game seven. Kevin Durant came close. He had 47 in Game 7 in 2021 against Milwaukee, but Brooklyn lost that game. But still, he had 47 points. Dominique Wilkins had 47 points in the Game 7 in 1988 in the Boston Garden against Larry Bird and the Boston Celtics. An iconic performance, legendary, one for the record books. But Wardell Stephen Curry gave you 50 points in a Game 7, took the game over. 50 necessary points. It wasn't even like he didn't have to put up 50. He had to do that. No one else was doing shit for Golden State in that game. Klay Thompson, 4 for 19 in that game. Off. Didn't play well. Not his best game. I'm not going to crucify Klay Thompson. I like Klay Thompson too much. I'm not going to kill him, but I'll call it right down the middle. He stunk up the joint yesterday. There's no... There's no denying that. There's no beating around the bush and trying to minimize and downplay Klay Thompson's performance in Game 7. It wasn't good. Draymond Green's never been known as being a scorer. Jordan Poole has been awful the majority of the series, especially in Game 6. Jordan Poole was the drizzling shits in Game 6. Terrible, garbage, abysmal, pathetic, woefully inept. One for like one for nine and in game six. He was awful. Andrew Wiggins still trying to find himself, still trying to find his footing. Took three months off to handle and address a personal matter off the court. Not going to get into that. None of my fucking business. Not even going to speculate. I don't know what was going on. That's Andrew Wiggins business, not mine. But he was gone for three months, still trying to get acclimated, still trying to get his legs under him. He's not really the true 100% Andrew Wiggins yet. Unfortunately, as a Laker fan, I fear he might find himself in the second round against the LA Lakers, but no one else really did anything 
Besides, my man Kevon Looney, I'm sorry, I apologize. My man Kevon Looney was a dominant force on the glass, on the boards, rebounding the basketball, 24 rebounds. He's had multiple 20 rebound games in that series against the Sacramento Kings. Second chance points, like 10 or 11 offensive rebounds. Make no mistake about it, Kevon Looney has been a grown-ass man in the playoffs over, over a couple of years now for the Golden State Warriors. They don't win without Kevon Looney. They can't win without Kevon Looney. Golden State is a small basketball team. They don't have a dominant big man, like a seven-footer, a rim protector, like a JaVale McGee that they had a couple of years ago and helped them win championships. They don't have that. Kevon Looney has to be that dominant big man for them alongside Draymond Green and guard the other team's best big man and also get rebounds and set screens and make things easier for guys like Curry and Clay and Wiggins and Poole to get open looks. So the work put in by my man Kevon Looney can never be understated or overstated. It can never be minimized. It can never be overlooked. He's an awesome basketball player, but make no mistake about it. Trust and believe they don't win that game yesterday without Stephen Curry putting up 50 points, 50 necessary points, 50 soul-crushing, back-breaking, demoralizing points. He took the heart out of the chest of the Sacramento Kings. First half of that game at halftime is Sacramento 58, Golden State 56. And once again, the only guy really scoring was Curry. He kept them in the game in the second half. He won the game. 30 of his 50 points occurred in the second half. 30 points in the second half. He washed them. He took the game over and took the series and the fight away from the Sacramento Kings. That was Jordan-esque. That reminded me of Michael Jordan. That reminded me of Kobe Bean Bryant. That reminded me of LeBron James. The great players rise to the occasion and do shit like that. The great players know exactly when, where, and how to be great. The upper echelon, top tier box office players, the top shelf players, your 1942 Don Julio and Yeho players, they know when it's time to rise to the occasion, put the team on their back and go win and go be great and go be awesome. Your Patron, Terramana, Casamigos players, they don't know. Either they don't know or they can't do it. They're incapable of rising to the occasion and putting a team on their back in critical moments, in big games, on the road, hostile environment. We have to win this game. Everything is riding on this moment. Your legacy is on the line. History will define you by how you play in these moments. And guys like Steph Curry more often than not, rise to the occasion. His performance yesterday, there's, there's not enough words. There are not enough adjectives and superlatives to accurately describe what Steph Curry was in Game 7 versus the Sacramento Kings. Beautiful, brilliant, transcendent, incandescent, awesome, amazing, phenomenal, sensational, marvelous, 
a different level, a different planet, a different world. Like Whitley and Dwayne, he was fucking crazy in that game. Are you kidding me? It wasn't even just the 50 points. It was the way he scored the 50 points. Threes, obviously, off the dribble, off a screen, dribbling through the entire basketball team. Jalen Rose said it perfectly during halftime, or actually after the game was over. Steph Curry looked like a Harlem Globetrotter going against the Washington Generals. He looked like Curly Neal out there in a regulation professional NBA playoff game. The Sacramento Kings are not the Washington Generals. They're trying to win the game. They're trying to win a playoff game and advance to the next round. These are legitimate professionals, grown men, and Steph Curry made them look like small children. It looked like a man among boys. He's hitting floaters in the paint. He's hitting finger rolls like he's George Gervin. He's 6'2 and a half, maybe 6'3 on a good day. Typically, he is the smallest man on the court, and yet there he is kicking ass and taking names and embarrassing people. No one, you can't guard him. How do you guard this guy? It's got to be a boxing one zone or something like that, or you got to attack him as soon as he gets off the bus. Just jump him in the parking lot. I don't know what else you could even do with this guy. He's got handle. He's got unlimited range. He's got cardio. Most guys are not even in the proper shape and conditioning to guard Steph Curry. He's going to wear you out. Davion Mitchell, exhausted trying to guard Steph Curry in the first four or five games of that series. There is a shot of Davion Mitchell from the Sacramento Kings, a very good young basketball player from the University of Baylor, known for his defensive prowess. And he was given the assignment. He was tasked with trying to guard Steph Curry. It wore his ass out. De'Aaron Fox, same thing. De'Aaron Fox is Sacramento's number one primary scoring option. You can't even put him on Steph Curry the entire game. He's going to be exhausted. He's going to be fatigued. Trying to guard Steph Curry for an entire game is going to give you the basketball equivalent of the itis. For those who are uninitiated and don't know what I'm talking about, the itis occurs whenever you eat a bunch of heavy, fat-ass barbecue or soul food and you get tired as shit immediately afterwards. Just go to your local barbecue or soul food restaurant and load up. Go in there and ask for a four-piece fried chicken, collard greens, potato salad, baked macaroni, three pieces of cornbread, two biscuits, and some sweet tea, and some peach cobbler. Eat all that shit and drink that sweet tea or that Kool-Aid and then see how you feel afterwards. Go ahead and eat all that shit and see what you feel like doing for the rest of the day. You don't feel like doing a goddamn thing. You're done. You're finished. You're going to be on the couch or the bed or somewhere sitting down, sedentary, incapable, unable of doing anything. Your day is over because you're so tired. You ate all that heavy ass food and it wore you out. That's the equivalent of trying to guard Steph Curry for a 48-minute basketball game, four quarters, regulation, whatever. He's going to wear you out. To me, that's the most underrated aspect of his game, his level of cardio. That dude is in shape. 
He runs a marathon the entire game. You got to chase that guy around and at the same time try to worry about your own game offensively? It can't be done. It cannot be done. My man J.R. Smith, all right, one of my favorite basketball players ever, played for the Denver Nuggets, the New York Knicks, the Cleveland Cavaliers. He was recently on a podcast talking about how Matthew Dellavedova nearly died trying to guard Steph Curry during the 2015 NBA Finals when Dellavedova played for Cleveland. Dellavedova currently plays for Sacramento. Didn't play a single second in this series, but I'm sure he was having flashbacks, PTSD, of when he tried to guard Steph Curry in that 2015 NBA final. It almost killed him. J.R. Smith told the story. Steph Curry almost killed a man from simply trying to play defense against him. That was amazing what I saw yesterday. Sacramento was trying to fight, trying to hang around. And they had nothing. And you can tell, you know, I felt like going into the game, the biggest impediment from them trying to win the game was their overall lack of experience. Being inexperienced and never being on this stage before in that kind of moment, in that game, in a game seven against your reigning, conquering, defending NBA world champion Golden State Warriors who have been there and done that for so many years, for about a decade now. Steph, Clay, Draymond, Steve Kerr on the sideline as the head coach. They've all been there and done that before. This is, this is old hat to them. This ain't nothing new. They've seen Game 7s before. They've been in big-time playoff games before. Sacramento, every man on that roster yesterday played in the biggest basketball game of their life They've never played in a high-stakes game like that before. And you can see it. You can tell it caught up to them. The moment was too much. The gravity was too much. It was overwhelming for them. You could see how tight they looked, how nervous they looked. It was palpable. You could see it on your TV screen. And meanwhile, on the opposite side, there is Wardell Stephen Curry, cool as the other side of the pillow. Rest in peace, Stuart Scott. Steph Curry out there chewing on his mouthpiece, big smile on his face, big Kool-Aid smile, taking free throws, chilling, looking real laid back out there, looking real comfortable. He'd been there before. This ain't nothing to him. This is only the first round. This is the quarterfinals. This guy has played in about six NBA finals. Old hat, been there and done it before, man. This, is, this ain't his first rodeo. De'Aaron Fox, phenomenal basketball player. Another guy, one of my favorite players in the NBA right now, great young player, and I was so happy. I've said this before. I was so happy to see him on the big national stage for so much of his career. Up until this season, De'Aaron Fox, been in Sacramento, been out there in the wilderness, out there in nowhere, in basketball purgatory. No one ever saw, no one really saw him play. No one has really seen De'Aaron Fox play since he was at Kentucky in college. Sacramento's never on TNT, never on ESPN. You got to get NBA League Pass to watch Sacramento play in, in the regular season. So this was his introduction to America on the big NBA national stage, and he shrunk. He froze up in the moment. He shot 26% last night in Game 7 at home. He's been outstanding all season long in the fourth quarters. 
Uh, the NBA came up with some kind of new award, I guess the NBA Clutch Award for players that perform well in the fourth quarter. De'Aaron Fox won that award. But that's regular season. In the playoffs, in Game 7, at home, completely different story. He's going to learn from this. This is a stepping stone. In the NBA, you got to lose before you can win. De'Aaron Fox is going to learn from this experience, take it with him, build upon it, and get better going forward. I got full confidence in that. He's a great young basketball player. But yesterday, he and his Sacramento Kings teammates ran into a buzzsaw by the name of Wardell Stephen Curry. You know, earlier I'm listening to uh, Draymond Green's podcast, and he tells a story about how Steph addressed the team in the immediate aftermath of that embarrassing Game 6 loss at home in San Francisco, and Steph pretty much told everyone, hey, if you're not fully committed, if you're not fully invested, don't even get on the bus. If you're not fully 100% about handling business and doing your job in game seven on the road, don't even bother. Don't show up because I'm going to show up and I'm going to lead the way in so many words. And Steph is, Steph's not known as being like a rah-rah guy that gives big speeches like that. He's one of those guys that leads by example. And Steph's one of those guys, because he doesn't normally talk like that, when he does talk like that and because of who he is and his stature in the game, because he has enough clout to do so, when he talks, people are going to listen. And I thought that was profound for him to make that speech and even more profound for someone like Draymond Green, who is outspoken, who is a guy that normally will give that kind of speech and be very demonstrative in talking to his teammates, for him to fall back, for him to listen to Steph, for him to be like, okay, Steph, you lead, I'll follow. Even Draymond knows Steph is our leader. He's the face of the franchise. Honestly, as far as I'm concerned, Golden State should go ahead and start building a Steph Curry statue in front of Chase Center right now. Even though he's currently active, even though he's still playing, hasn't retired yet, go ahead and build that statue. Fuck it. He's, he's earned it. He deserves it. He is the best player in Warriors franchise history. He's been the leader of four different championship teams. He revolutionized the game. He's changed the face of basketball as we know it. Go ahead, go ahead and start construction right now on a Steph Curry statue in front of Chase Center in San Francisco, California. He's the reason that arena was built in the first place. Steph Curry is the reason they moved from Oakland to San Francisco. He's the man. He's the driving force of that organization. They've become, Golden State has become one of the top five most lucrative teams in the NBA. And that's primarily because of Steph Curry. Let's call it what it is. A generational talent, an unbelievable force, just a fucking god of a basketball player. He's amazing. He's awesome. I could sit there all day and talk about Steph Curry, which brings me to now, as a Laker fan, we got to deal with this guy for about, I'll, I'm, I'll go ahead and say seven games. I'll say a seven-game series of Golden State and Los Angeles. I can't wait to see this matchup one more time and maybe perhaps the last time. Steph Curry and LeBron James in the playoffs. Ali and Frazier is what this is on a basketball court. Steph Curry, LeBron James, Muhammad Ali, Joe Frazier. The greatest personal, not even personal, but greatest individual rivalry 
We've seen in basketball since Magic and Bird. It's on that level. On four separate occasions, it's been LeBron and Steph in the NBA Finals. When LeBron was still playing for the Cleveland Cavaliers, now he's in Los Angeles playing for the Lakers. And now one more time, and maybe the last time, Steph Curry and LeBron in the NBA playoffs. This time, Golden State and Los Angeles. I can't wait. I cannot wait. I'm chomping at the bit. I feel like I'm about to play in this series. I'm literally on the edge of my seat. I cannot wait for this series. It's going to be awesome. The Battle of California. Four teams from that state, from California, made the NBA playoffs this season. All four teams, Sacramento, Clippers, Lakers, Warriors, and now two remain. And it's the two biggest teams in California, two of the biggest teams in the entire NBA, the two biggest stars in the NBA, Steph Curry, LeBron James. Does it get any better than this? This is what everyone wanted to see. With all due respect and apologies to Sacramento and Memphis, let's be honest, let's be clear, no one gave a fuck about Memphis and Sacramento. Seriously, unless you live in Sacramento or Memphis, no one really gave two shits, a rat's ass, or a flying fuck about seeing a Sacramento, Memphis, Kings, Grizzlies, semifinal series. No. When the playoff brackets came out and you saw how everything lined up, most of the population said, we want Warriors and Lakers. We want Curry and LeBron. You better believe, trust and believe, the NBA itself, Adam Silver, and everyone that he works with wanted Lakers and Warriors. Are you kidding me? Box office, ratings, advertisements, ad money, ad revenue, all that shit. This is what you wanted. You didn't want nothing to do with Memphis and Sacramento. No. Los Angeles, Golden State, Bay Area, Southern California. I spent six years living in Oakland, California. I can tell you firsthand, there's a, there's a rivalry between the two areas of California. SoCal versus North Cal. Think about it. The Dodgers and the Giants hate each other relentlessly, passionately hate each other. There was a motherfucker that went to a, a Dodgers game a couple of years ago. He got beaten into a coma because he was wearing a San Francisco Giants hat. San Francisco Giants regalia. A group of Dodgers fans beat this motherfucker into a coma, into a vegetable. It's that serious. I lived out there. I can tell you. I lived in both areas. I lived in North Cal. I lived in SoCal. They don't like each other. The people don't like each other. It's not even just about sports. It's a culture war. From an ideological standpoint, they don't like each other. The people in California will argue about who has the better Mexican food. You talk to anyone in the Bay, they will tell you the best Mexican food in California is in the Bay. Now go down south. Go to L.A., San Diego. Go to Orange County. Whatever. Ask them who has the better Mexican food. They'll tell you. It's, it's down here. It's in SoCal. Fuck the Bay Area. And vice versa. They don't like each other. Story time with Uncle Dion. Years ago, many, 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 many years ago, in Hyattsville, Maryland, of all places, I was kind of sort of fucking around with a foot model that I met at a foot fetish party in Washington, D.C. that I went to a long time ago. Anyway, long story short, this Dominican broad was from Long Beach, California. I go to her, I go to her spot, to her apartment in West Hyattsville, Maryland, PG County, Maryland. I go to her spot, her and I, you know, we're kicking it, we're talking for a little bit, just, you know, casual conversation or whatever. And I said to her, I asked her, I said, what part of California are you from? The Bay Area? You know, question mark, the Bay Area? 
She looks at me with this scathing look, like looking through my soul. She cut her eyes at me. She looked at me like I just took a shit in her Cheerios. And she says to me, I'm not from the fucking Bay Area. I'm from Long Beach. Fuck the Bay Area. Point taken. Points taken, completely understood, will not make that mistake again, no, no, no. I didn't come here looking for no smoke, I came here looking for some pussy, and to get jacked off by these beautiful, well-maintained, size eight and a half feet. That's what I came here for, I did not come here looking for no smoke, no static, no bullshit, ain't trying to get stabbed either. Remember, this is a Dominican broad, who knows what might happen, I'm not trying to get fucked up, I'm, da I'm down there by myself, I don't even know this bitch like that, I just met her a week prior, I'm not trying to get fucked up because I confused what part of California she came from. So I apologized, and I moved on accordingly, and I got what I came for. But in that moment, I found out. See, at that point in my life, I was uninitiated. I never, I never even been to California before at that point in my life. I was about 21, 22 you know, somewhere around 2006, 2007. I'd never been to California before, so I didn't know. I didn't understand that if you confuse what part of California someone comes from, you might get fucked up. I learned that day. I also learned when I moved out there. I mean, it's so, it's so serious out in the Bay Area. Like, Oakland and San Francisco don't even like each other. Like, other parts in the Bay Area don't like each other. It's that, it's that crazy. It's that critical. But especially North Cal and SoCal. So that adds to me, that adds an extra layer, an extra dynamic to this Golden State Los Angeles series that's about to start. It's state bragging rights. It's everything. Not only are we trying to prove who is the superior basketball team, we're trying to prove what part of California is superior to the other one. I think it's going to be a great series. As I said, I'm looking at seven games. I'm looking at my man, Anthony Davis. I need him to be consistent in this series. As previously stated, Golden State lacks a big man that's a rim protector that's going to clog up the paint. Kevon Looney's good. I like Kevon Looney. as my guy. But Anthony Davis is a better basketball player than him, and he should be able to eat in this series, especially in the paint. Points, rebounds, blocking shots. As he, he did that in the Memphis series consistently with regularity. He controlled the paint defensively. He was a nightmare defensively for Memphis in that series. Great rim protector is Anthony Davis. Even when he does give you a bad offensive game, he's still going to rebound and he's still going to defend. LeBron, you know, LeBron's earned that trust. I mean, LeBron is LeBron. He's, he's one of, one of, the greatest basketball players who ever walked this earth. So is Steph Curry, though. But LeBron overall, historically, is a little bit better than Curry. But I don't know. See, that's, a, that's something else in this series that's on the line. The legacies of Steph Curry and LeBron James are on the line in this series. Both men currently right now are tied with four championships. Curry has beaten LeBron three times to win championships. And there's always discussion about who owns this current era of basketball. Who is the face of the NBA? Who's the man? Who's number one? Who gets top billing? Is it Steph? Is it LeBron? Which one do you favor? The two, the fan base, the individual fan bases of both individual players are always constantly at odds with each other. 
Steph Curry fans typically hate LeBron fans and vice versa. LeBron fans hate Curry because they feel like he fucked up LeBron's legacy. As I said, Curry beat LeBron three times in the NBA Finals. The Golden State Warriors beat LeBron James three times in the NBA Finals. They took three championships away from LeBron. This annoying, incessant, never-ending argument about LeBron and Jordan has been impacted by Steph Curry and the Golden State Warriors. LeBron has four championships. Jordan has six. Typically, people like me will bring that up as one of the reasons why Jordan is a superior player to LeBron James because Michael won six championships. If Steph Curry just didn't exist, just never happened, if Dell and Sonya never created Steph Curry about 35 years ago, LeBron probably has six or seven championships right now. But Steph Curry does exist, and Steph Curry has taken away three titles from LeBron, so therefore that impacts the argument. You can't say, in my opinion, you can't say that LeBron is above Jordan because Jordan has more championships than LeBron. How the fuck is 4-6 and six better than 6-0? and oh? I don't understand that. Doesn't make any sense to me, but a lot of people will try to make that argument. Once again, I don't get it. Doesn't make any sense at all to me. So therefore, a lot of LeBron's fans, a lot of the witnesses, hate, loathe, and despise Steph Curry because he has impacted LeBron James's legacy. Same reason they don't like Kevin Durant. Same reason they don't like Kawhi Leonard. Anyone that's beaten LeBron in the finals is public enemy number one to grown-ass men who refer to another grown-ass man as being their king. They don't like it. It sticks in their craw. It grinds their gears. They don't like it at all. They can't stand it. It's a black cloud over their heads. I can't wait to see the arguments online. I can't wait to see what Twitter, Facebook, IG all look like in the middle of this series. Whoever wins is going to have bragging rights. You got state bragging rights. You got personal bragging rights. And obviously, more important than all of that, you have an opportunity to go to the Western Conference Final. Both teams, make no mistake about it. It's Curry and LeBron. You got veteran players all throughout this series. And they're focused on one thing and one thing only, winning championships. Draymond, Clay, Anthony Davis, they all want more championships. AD only has one. At least Clay and Draymond also got four alongside Curry. They want more. They want to win more championships. You don't think that LeBron and AD are especially motivated by all the people who try to downplay, minimize, and ridicule that George Floyd, Black Lives Matter, Disney sponsored by COVID-19 pandemic bubble championship? You don't think they're motivated by that? They should be. The knock on that championship was it was an unconventional championship that took place during a pandemic where there was a four or five month break in the middle of the season and everyone relocated to Orlando, Florida to play a bubble championship with no fans in attendance, no road games. This is your opportunity to right that wrong, to win a championship under conventional circumstances. It's all right there in front of you. And the Lakers have rest. The Lakers closed out Memphis on Friday night. Golden State had to fight to a game seven yesterday. Game one is tomorrow on Tuesday. The Lakers got about three days of rest. 
Now, Golden State has home court advantage, and they've been excellent all season long at Chase Center in San Francisco, but who's to say the Lakers can't at least steal one game on the road, and the Lakers have been outstanding at home at Staples Center. I will never, ever call it Crypto.com Center. Fuck that. It's Staples Center. When Kobe Bean Bryant threw that lob to Shaquille O'Neal at Game 7 of the 2000 Western Conference Finals, against the Portland Trailblazers, that took place at Staples Center. When Robert Ory, my man Big Shot Bob, made that big shot against Sacramento in Game 4 of the 2002 Western Conference Final, that happened at Staples Center. Kobe scored 81 at Staples Center. When Kobe hit that game winner to beat the Phoenix Suns, that took place at Staples Center. The 2010 NBA Finals against the Boston Celtics, Game 7, that took place at Staples Center. When my man Sasha Vujicic hit some clutch free throws in that game. When my other man, Ron Artest, met a world peace, scored 27 points in that game to help clinch that game because Kobe had an off night in that game if we're being transparent. But still, Kobe figured out a way to put 24 points on the board in that game. All that took place at Staples Center. Unfortunately, when Kobe tore his Achilles, that took place at Staples Center. When Kobe scored 60 in his last ever NBA game, all of that took place at Staples Center. Get the fuck out my face with that crypto.com bullshit. Staples Center is the name of that building. And Staples Center, I predict, will be the home of the next Laker championship. But we got to get past Golden State first, and that's going to be an uphill climb. That's going to be a tough challenge going up against this Golden State Warriors team. I felt like both teams' first-round series kind of mirror each other from the standpoint of you have veteran, experienced basketball teams in the Lakers and the Warriors going up against young, upstart, inexperienced teams like Memphis and Sacramento. And in the end, the experience prevailed. The guys that have been there and done that, they won. But now, in this series, you got two experienced, veteran-laden basketball teams going up against each other. So from that angle, there's no clear advantage. Truth be told, when I really, really think about it, my heart says the Lakers are going to win because that is my favorite basketball team. My mind says Golden State's the better basketball team. I'm, I'm going to go with my heart. I'm going to trust my heart on this one. I think Lakers 4-3 by a cunt's hair margin, barely by the skin of their teeth, by the, by the hair on their chinny-chin-chin, the Lakers scratch, claw, and barely survive this series and beat the Golden State Warriors. Although, I'll put it like this, I would not put money on it. I'm not going to bet on this series. Absolutely not. Fuck no. I will not put money on this. It can go either way. And I got... I got confidence in the Lakers, but it's not that much. It's not a whole lot because I know the opposition. I know what's on the other side. I just saw that man put 50 points up in the NBA playoff game in a game seven, 30 points in the second half. I know what number 30 is capable of. He's awesome. He's phenomenal, transcendent, all of that. Once again, not enough adjectives or superlatives to accurately describe the kind of basketball player he is, he's fucking brilliant. However, LeBron James is also awesome, phenomenal, and fucking brilliant. 38 years old and still playing like this? Are you kidding me? 
we and listen, listen, we've never seen this before, all right? Jordan, Kobe, as much as I love both of those guys, I love Jordan, I love Kobe all day, every day, twice on Sunday, my two favorite basketball players ever. But I got to admit, I got to be fully transparent, at 38, neither one was playing on the same level that LeBron James is playing on right now. He's, he's different. They, they, they created LeBron in a lab somewhere 38 years ago. He's a different breed. We're talking about a dude 6'9", 260, and can play and move the way he does. He's the same height and weight as Carl Malone, except he's exponentially more athletic. His athleticism through the charts, through the roof, is going to be crazy. It's going to be a fun series to watch. Cannot wait. Got my popcorn ready, as uh, Terrell Owens might say. I'll close by saying this. Stephen A. Smith brought it up in the uh, post game, in the aftermath of that iconic performance by Steph Curry of putting up 50 against Sacramento in a game seven. Stephen A. Smith said Steph Curry is the best, greatest point guard who ever lived, better than Magic Johnson. For me, as far as that conversation goes, I mean, what are we talking about? Are we talking about from a traditional, prototypical point guard standpoint of being a pass-first point guard, facilitating the offense, trying to set up other people and put them in spots to score? If we're talking about that, then yes, Magic is better than Curry at that. Magic is the best quintessential, prototypical, whatever, traditional point guard who ever lived. Magic is the best passer who ever played basketball. And LeBron is in that category too. LeBron, LeBron is like a combination of Magic and Michael put together. I, I've always said that. LeBron is a tremendous passer. And he could play point guard too if he really wanted to. I think both men, I think Curry and Magic, both played positionless basketball. If anything, Magic kind of created positionless basketball. Remember, a 20-year-old Magic Johnson started at center in place of an injured Kareem Abdul-Jabbar in Game 6 of the 1980 NBA Finals and scored 42 points, had 15 rebounds and 7 assists, and led the Lakers to victory and won his first championship his rookie season. He's 6'9". He can do that. He can play all five positions. Curry can't do that at 6'2", 6'3". So it's different body types. It's, it's different skill sets. Curry is the greatest shooter of all time, revolutionized the game, completely changed the whole dynamic of basketball and the way people play basketball, the way people approach basketball. Every team and every player in this league right now is doing their best Steph Curry impression. Even LeBron James pulls up from 30 feet now. He wasn't doing that before. He started doing that when he saw Curry doing that shit. The same way everyone started doing that when they saw Curry doing that shit. So for me, I can't really say who's better than who. I can't say Magic is better than Curry. I can't say Curry is better than Magic. They both redefine their positions and their sports, respectively, in their own era. Magic was a different player. He could post you up because he's taller. He's 6'9". He could post you up. He could rebound. He could defend the paint. He could score. He had hook shots. He had a different, different skill set, different game. His bag was way different than Curry's bag. Curry extraordinary handles that always to me that gets overlooked he can handle the basketball with anyone in the league he's on par he's almost on par with Kyrie Irving he's like a step a cunt hair up below 
Kyrie Irving as far as dribbling and handling the basketball is concerned. And then you add the fact that he can pull up from 30 or 35 with consistency and regularity and make it and stretch out the defense and make everyone play out of position and out of sorts. His cardio, all that shit I talked about earlier. It's, it's hard for me to say who's better between Curry and Magic. I don't know. It depends on what kind of point guard style you like. Most people, a lot of people will say that they don't even consider Curry to be a point guard because he's not that pass-first, quintessential, prototypical point guard that everyone grew up on. Curry plays point guard because he's 6'2". Most of the time, Draymond brings the ball up the court, and Draymond facilitates the offense and gets guys, including Curry, in position to score. So it's, it's, it's apples and oranges. I don't know. Take your pick. Like I said, which, whichever one you like or prefer, whatever style of point guard you prefer, you're going to lean in one direction or the other. Curry, it, Curry is a combo guard who's not tall enough to play shooting guard. I think Curry is maybe the best example ever of you don't play to your position. You play to your skill set. As Jalen Rose once upon a time so eloquently explained to that idiot Skip Bayless, basketball is not about your position. A position is just a label. You play to your skill set. Just because you're seven feet tall doesn't mean you necessarily have to play on a low block. If you can shoot, if you can step out on the perimeter like Dirk Nowitzki back in the day, then that's what you do. You play to your skill set. Just because you're a shooting guard doesn't mean you shoot all the time. Doesn't mean you shoot a bunch of threes. And just because Steph Curry is listed as a point guard doesn't necessarily mean he's going to play the position the way people think it's supposed to be played. He's a combo guard. Derrick Rose in his prime, combo guard. John Wall in his prime, combo guard. You know, someone like Chauncey Billups back in the day, that's, that's your prototypical point guard. He's trying to pass first, get other guys set up, etc. So it's not really about your position in basketball. It's about your skill set. Now more than ever, in the current modern-day basketball landscape, in the current NBA, it's not about your position. It's about your skill set. And that's the mistake I think a lot of people make when people are talking basketball. Uh, but yeah, uh, Lakers, Warriors, my favorite team against my favorite player. I'm somewhat, I'm not conflicted. I want the Lakers to win, but I, I do want Curry to play well because I enjoy watching him play, but I want the Lakers to win. Make no mistake about that. So yeah, my favorite team, my favorite player, cannot wait, going to be fun, going to be awesome. Must see TV. I'm watching every second, every minute of this series. I don't care what else is going on. All I care about for the next two weeks, Lakers and Warriors, Los Angeles, San Francisco, Bay Area, SoCal. Hopefully no one gets beaten into a vegetable during this series. Hopefully no one gets their ass kicked to the point that they have to sip food through a straw for the rest of their life just because of their basketball affiliation from a fan standpoint. Hopefully that doesn't happen. Um, keep, keep things clean, people. Just go watch the game and have fun and enjoy the brilliance of Steph Curry and LeBron James. You might be seeing it for the last time. I can't, I can't stress that enough. I can't implore people enough to just enjoy what you're watching. Enjoy this. Savor the moment. Stop trying to tear people down. Just acknowledge the greatness. 
LeBron and Curry is real life history in the making. Enjoy it. I enjoy it. I never saw Magic play in his prime. I never saw Bird in his prime. I never saw, I certainly never saw Chamberlain and Russell and Elgin Baylor and Jerry West and John Havlicek and George Mikan and Bob Pettit. I never saw those guys. Moses Malone, I never saw him play. I never saw the greatness. I got to go on YouTube and watch those guys play. I got to go on NBA TV and watch hardwood classics to see those guys play. But I can watch LeBron James and Steph Curry play basketball right now in real time, live on 4K, high-definition TV, and I enjoy it, and I savor it, and I'm, I'm privileged. It's an honor and a privilege to watch Steph Curry and LeBron James play basketball in their prime. I thought, I'm watching the post-game news conference yesterday, and uh, Ramona Shelbourne asked Draymond, do you feel like the general public and the fans and the media is, uh, is looking forward to getting rid of you guys, all the old guys, all the veterans, all, all these guys I'm talking about are currently in their 30s. I don't know how much longer they're going to play. And Ramona Shelbourne asked that question. Do you think people are just in a hurry to get rid of you guys and move on to whatever's next and whatever is new? And Draymond answered the question and said, yeah, I believe in that. I think that is, I think that is a thing. I agree with Draymond. I think that's a thing. Unfortunately, we live in this hot take, dumbass society, this fast food, short attention span, ADHD society where everyone wants something new. Everyone gets bored easily and quickly. And because of the stupid ass hot take society, hot take culture, being led by idiots like Skip Bayless and Nick Wright and Stephen A. Smith, these fucking nincompoops, because of their influence, everyone is in a hurry to be right. Everyone wants to say something just for the fact that they want to be the first person to say, ha ha, see, I told you that LeBron's fallen off. I told you that Curry's washed up. Think about all those years that Max Kellerman was on ESPN saying that Tom Brady is falling off a cliff. He said that shit in 2016. In that, in that time span from 2016 up until this past season when Tom Brady retired, Tom Brady won three Super Bowls and Max Kellerman was on TV every day saying this guy's falling off a cliff. Why? Because everyone wants to be the first person to say something so they can look back on it and say, ha ha, I told you I was right. I saw this coming the whole time. Those same people never go on TV and admit all the times they were wrong flagrantly, egregiously wrong. They never admit that. They only talk about the one or two times they got lucky and predicted some shit that actually happened. But everyone wants to walk around with these bold proclamations and saying, this guy sucks, he's washed up, he's not what, he's not what he used to be. Memphis is going to beat the Lakers in the first round. It's John Morant's time. Sacramento is going to beat Golden State in the first round. It's De'Aaron Fox's time. And Steph Curry's an old man. He's washed up. He can't play anymore. And then the games happen, and these old guys go out there and kick the shit out the young guys because they're still great players. And I just wish that people would enjoy it instead of always trying to knock these guys, deride them, bring them down, talk shit about them, compare who's who and who's this and who's that. No, just enjoy, acknowledge that they're both awesome basketball players. And we as fans have the opportunity, the luxury, the honor, and the privilege to watch all this shit to watch history occur in real time. I enjoy it. I love it. It's awesome to me. 
I appreciate both guys. I appreciate these legendary basketball players that I had the chance to watch play in real time. It's awesome to me. So with all of that being said, this concludes this edition of the Dion Gordon Podcast. Eternally grateful, always humble, and very much appreciative. And remember, at all times, tread lightly like a woodpecker with a headache. Picture me rolling. I'm out.